Welcome to Woke and Wired, a new conversation about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship. We are here to shift the paradigm of business and marketing and social media in this digital age of infinite possibility and bridge our inner technology, our intuition with outer technology through rituals, personal development tools, conscious business practices, spiritual tools, and the magical tool of social media. I am your host, Xenia, storyteller, conscious social media teacher, speaker, and a multidimensional traveler. Welcome to the new paradigm. Welcome back to the Expanded Consciousness Month on Woken Wired. We kicked off in episode 122 with Paul Austin speaking about microdosing psychedelics. Then we turned to Rebecca Naylor in episode 123, who shared all about combo medicine. And today my guest is Talia Eisenberg. Talia is the co-founder of the Ibogaine Research Institute, CEO of the Healer Collective, a business consultant and someone who is committing her life to regenerative business. This conversation is such a powerful one, and it starts with Talia sharing about where she comes from in Omaha, Nebraska, her family's history of being Holocaust survivors, how growing up she didn't have a sense of fitting in. Anyone else? Me. How she opened up an art gallery in New York City in her 20s, and became addicted to opioids at 21. She shares the story of discovering Ibogaine and how it changed the course of her life. Then we switch gears and we speak about entrepreneurship, about finding worthiness in the area of money, what is regenerative business, connecting to the force fields within you, and translating ancient wisdom into the modern world through technology. This conversation is so rich, so inspiring, and I can't wait to share it with you. Before we dive in, a quick update. The Conscious Social Media Program is now closed, and we opened up the container with an opening circle earlier this week. I was completely blown away by the magic of the caliber of people that it brings in, of everyone's commitment to healing the world through entrepreneurship and through sharing your gifts in the world. And it's also been the biggest launch I've ever done. It's been the most successful one so far. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is to confirm and remind you this knowing that you already have deep inside that, yes, you can do business in a way that's aligned with you as an energetic and spiritual being. And yes, you can be a smart entrepreneur who is deeply tapped into the energetics and the mystical practices. And being successful doesn't have to be pushy. Everyone who wasn't sure about signing up and then ended up signing up told me that they used divination tools, they spoke with their guides, and they received messages in their meditations and visualizations to be part of the program because there's something in it for them. So the new paradigm is here. This is a confirmation, not just for me, but for all of us. And while the conscious social media program is now closed and running, 
the 5D Mastermind applications are open. I originally was going to launch it end of October, but I decided to push it to January so that I can give all of my energy to Conscious Social Media Program and participants at this time until the end of the year. There will be other offerings and experiences in between, but if you're drawn for a four-month deep, deep, deep container with the most one-on-one access to me you can get with a group where we go deep with expert teachers, with myself, with people that I turn to, to help me up-level my own business and spiritual practice as it relates to it. And also there will be an in-person gathering. So if any of this speaks to you, just head over to 5dmastermind.com. And let's redefine the business paradigm together. It's time to write the new rules. And if this resonates with you, you're being called to step up into the leader that you were born to be. Here's Talia Eisenberg. All right, Talia, I'm so excited to have you on Woken Wired. We've been having conversations here and there. And it was funny, actually, I was thinking about how we met in person for the first time. And after hearing about you for a while from my dear friend, Jasmine, I met you at a Kundalini music concert. Do you remember that? Yes, yes, that was amazing. That was with, oh, what's her name? I forget. Snatam Kaur? Snatam, yes. Yes. That was an incredible experience. But yeah, I'd been hearing about you for like years because you two met through Harshada Wagner, the meditation teacher. And it was wonderful to meet in person. And then we've sort of just been circling around the same friend group for a while. But you were living in New York and I moved to San Francisco. So it's been really nice to connect lately more on topics of plant medicine, healing, you know, your work and all kinds of other stuff. Speaking of work, there's so much intersection with what this podcast is about, with what I'm committed to doing in the world and with what you're creating. So I want to start with the Healer Collective company that you co-founded. And I'm looking at Healer Collective Instagram and bio is just so on point with everything that we believe in at Woken Wired, it says holistic business strategy for healers and conscious brands, empowering healing, the first healer representation agency. So talk to us about that. Sure, sure. So for me, well, I guess to talk about that, I would have to talk about my journey and how that came to be birthed. But in a nutshell, it is like the CAA for healing. So CAA is the Hollywood agency and agents behind the scene of all of the Hollywood celebrities, creative artists agency. And so we really wanted to be, become a support system for these. There's so many incredible healers and shamans and, you know, holistic doctors, naturopaths who don't, they aren't great at marketing and they shouldn't be. They're not trained in it, you know? They're not great at business development. They have a vision and they're incredible at healing and doing work with individuals or large groups of people, but they don't have the time. A lot of them don't have the time and they don't have the skills to, you know, help get them to where their vision, to where they want to be. So I guess for me, the business was born as an idea almost 
probably 11 years ago when my life transformed. And I can talk about that. Let's go right there. Sure. Okay. So I, you know, grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, Jewish family, Holocaust survivors. It's weird that we grew up in the Midwest because we're a very European family. Um, I guess my grandparents survived Auschwitz at the age of like 23 and they were lucky to survive because a lot of my family was murdered and a lot of others around them. And so they didn't want to stay in New York City when they got to Ellis Island because it was too traumatic. And there was a small Jewish community in Omaha, Nebraska that took them in and they started cleaning houses. And eventually my grandfather, who was this very like suave, like European pool player type that they hadn't seen in the Midwest in the, you know, in the 50s, that was kind of a big deal. He wore suits, he had, you know, an accent. He started bringing art over from from Europe and they created one of the first Midwestern art galleries. And so um, in a way, you know, they were very refined and taught Midwesterners who were very much only into like farming and more non, I would say, refined activities, how to, you know, admire art and culture and all that stuff. But anyhow, I grew up there and always felt very weird because we would travel a lot. And in the summers, we would go to Europe or Asia. We always had artists from all over the world coming through our house. And it was a very eclectic group of people. But, you know, we were surrounded by a very conservative group, right? And so I always felt sort of misunderstood and and like I didn't belong. And, And that probably contributed to, you know, I had an eating disorder at a very young age that started at like 14 or 15. And then eventually we all moved to New York City. We all moved to New York City when I was 18 and I started going out a lot. I dropped out of college and I started an art gallery in the Lower East Side. It was one of the first emerging art galleries in the Lower East Side in New York City. And we it was a big collective, different up-and-coming artists from all over the world. And we would do these um, art shows, group art shows. And so, and, and uh, you know, I was in a lot of suffering at that time because, well, I think because of how I grew up, there wasn't a lot of boundaries. It was very free, but I wasn't taught some of the basics that that, you know, now I try to teach my own children. So that happened and I started, I didn't know how to deal with the anxiety. You know, I think a lot of Holocaust trauma too, I was carrying guilt, shame, fear. So I started to do a lot of drugs, to be honest. I went out every night, you know, became like this socialite thing. It was a role I was playing because I was in fear. You know, I was like platinum blonde hair, really skinny, high heels, was trying to fit into that world, but never really felt like I could. I would often try to have like intellectual conversations and we'd be like in a very loud nightclub in Miami. And, you know, I couldn't really connect with people in a way that in this, and, you know, I, I, I feel I'm, I've always been a spiritual soul. I actually feel we all are, but I wasn't able to get that nourished at a young age. I was trying to do what society, what the general public masses look up to these days or did at the time, which is more around glamour and money. And, you know, it's very vapid and I felt empty inside. And when I discovered opium, to be honest, which is actually, I was told it was opium. It's actually, you know, something else. 
in a nightclub and it was given to me by like this beautiful Calvin Klein male model. I tried it and I loved it. And before I knew it, I was 21 years old and I was addicted to opiates. And it was like being in a prison of the mind, right? I wanted to stop. I couldn't stop. I'm lucky. I only did it for a year. My parents were very, very amazing and perseverant in that they kept throwing me into different rehabs around America. And so I really learned for me after three weeks, I would all, I would be sober and I would want to be sober or, you know, free of narcotics and alcohol. I also want to be careful about using the word sober since it's not a harm reduction word. It's more of, it feels like very dualistic black or white, but so I'll say I wanted to be off of narcotics and alcohol because that was what I was using to numb, but I couldn't every three weeks I would, I would be so off of narcotics, you know, clear headed conscious. And then I would want something to feel better. And I realized it was neurological in my brain. Like I couldn't help it. I had to go and get high just to feel normal. And so around that time, I discovered, I started looking at alternative forms of healing for addiction. And through a dear friend, discovered this, at the time, very fairly unknown psychedelic plant medicine called Ibogaine. And what it is, is it's, it interrupts addiction, opiate addiction, you know, alcohol, probably gambling, sex, all kinds of things, but it works really well for opiates. If you are, it works really well for opiates. If you are um, addicted in that one night, it interrupts all withdrawals. So if you've ever seen an opiate addict, you know, you're sweating, you're barfing, you're shaking, you have to, you just want to take, you'll do anything to get high just so you feel normal. It's so, so it's excruciating and it goes on for sometimes 90 days of post-acute withdrawal. So here we have a miraculous plant medicine from Africa that in a single night for everyone who has an opiate problem, it reduces these withdrawal syndromes. And so that's on the physical level, but then also on a spiritual, emotional level, you have awakening, a spiritual awakening. And that was incredible because it's not fun. You know, it's like a 10 hour, you're like in a 10 hour coma state. You can't move your body and you know, it's not, you're conscious, but you, you're conscious, but you're not, you lose all concept of time and space and you, you know, you're tripping and it's not like ayahuasca or something. It is, it is horrific. And it's sort of the granddaddy of all psychedelics, but at the same time, it's repairing your neurotransmitters and we don't know how exactly. And you're having, you're having to look, here's the amazing part. You're having to look at all of your suffering and everything you've been trying to avoid your whole life all of the trauma, maybe your ancestors' trauma, maybe, you know, parts of you that you you have shame about that you've never really wanted to feel. You're feeling all of that and you're watching your life like a movie. And, you know, you also like for me, I saw humanity suffering and the the evolution of how humanity evolved, but also some of the terrible things we've done to the planet, some of the wars and and the way that we've hurt one another and killed one another. So it was really it's like 10 hours of this. It's very intense. It's not something you would ever want to do again, unless you need it, if you really want to reset and a life change. And so that's huge because in addiction, you need both of, I believe, both the spiritual transformation, it's like alchemy, as well as the physical, you know, wiping of your receptors so that you're able to get beyond the 90 days that most people don't make it through. 
and you're able then to focus on yourself and do the deep recovery work that's needed through integration and therapists. So so while those 10 hours are happening, is someone looking over you the whole time? Are you talking it through or are you just processing internally? And then how do you even reintegrate after that? That's a great question. So ideally, you have incredible people with you, doctors, maybe a shaman who's well-trained. You definitely want medical personnel who, who understand the protocol. Unfortunately, you know, the problem is it's illegal in the United States. And there's all kinds of underground treatments happening here and outside of the U.S. in clinics that can be very shady. So that means that sometimes you're not watched and really awful things can happen. And so that's why it's really important to research where you go. And I had a not a great experience, to be honest. I mean, I found the medicine and I thank God stayed you know, it's now been 10 or 11 years since I've used alcohol or any narcotic, any poison in my body, which is a miracle. But, you know, it was not a good experience. I left the clinic early. They didn't do what they said they would do. There wasn't any EKGs during the experience. And, you know, there was weird stuff happening in this space. It wasn't well monitored. There was weird sexual, you know, energies going on. And so that brings me, so, so we're working on that issue. Like the more, the more something is regulated, then you actually have protocols. It's sort of like, you know, you know, and then also, of course, people die if not, if not, if there aren't proper tests beforehand. And, you know, for example, if it's mixed with an SSRI, it could kill you, you know, and, or a meth, if meth is in somebody's system, it could kill you. And so if there's no testing, sometimes that happens, which has given Ibogaine a bad name. It's similar to sort of abortion or colonoscopy. Abortion, for example, 30 or 40 years ago was very dangerous because there wasn't protocol. But now when it's done, it's pretty, you know, 98% safe when it's done with protocol. So I believe this is a huge answer to addiction and suffering, uh, which is at an all-time high right now with COVID. And we're not, it's illegal here. So it's a, it's a travesty in my, in my opinion. But yeah, so that that experience really in one night, you know, I was very depressed my whole life. I was lost. I didn't know my purpose and you know, even though that experience was the trip itself was horrific in the end, I saw how everything works together and I really had my first spiritual awakening. I saw how everything's interconnected and I basically wanted to be of service to the planet after that. And and you know, from there, a couple of weeks later, I went and co-founded one of the first vape companies in the United States with the intention of harm reduction and helping people get off cigarettes. I was a smoker and I discovered an early model um, e-cigarette and uh, wanted to help smokers stop smoking. Nobody knew what vaping was at the time or what e-cigarettes were. And so I saw that as an opportunity to save, you know, millions of lives a year if, if they were using something cleaner. Of course, now a lot of the chemicals people mix into these e-juices e or whatever are not great. But then, you know, their goal was really just to remove the 5,000 carcinogens and use three ingredients as well as nicotine, which is actually non-harmful, just addictive as a way for people to taper off. So uh, that was really cool. And we built like the first cool kids brand, not kids, you know, 20 year olds, 30 year olds, because 
you don't want kids using these products, but you know, it was, uh, it was in New York city and, and that gave me a chance at business and focusing my mind on positivity and growth and, and growing my self-esteem and, you know, so I've, yeah. So how did you know what you were doing? Because growing up in Omaha and starting your, you know, being a pioneer and starting Lower East Side Art Gallery and then starting this very innovative business that didn't exist yet. How do you operate, Talia? Like, do you have an intuitive hit and you act on it and you figure out along the way? Do you have mentors? Do you follow your visions? Or how does your entrepreneurial gene work? Yeah, that's a great question. The answer is I don't know. <laughs> it's not... I think that what happens is somehow I'm first I'm extremely curious and you can train yourself to be curious you know you ask why a lot you it's the beginner's mind in zen buddhism why things work this way how what does the plan I ask myself a lot what does the planet need right now where is the suffering and where what are the so and, and I don't go right into the solution. Like I really try and sit with what is and trying to understand the problem, right? Because as an entrepreneur, you're just you're just a problem solver essentially. And from that can come a great product or service. But by really empathizing too, so so listening, empathizing, curiosity, these are these are all, I don't know, then all of these insights come to me like this is what's needed right now on the planet or this is a solution to this problem. Let's let's try it. And, and I get very passionate and excited. And then so it's sort of like figuring out how to build build something. You, you know, there's all these different parts, and you need you might need funding, you might need a factory, you might need someone who's great at organization, which I'm not. And you, you know, it's also about knowing what you're not good at as well and trying to find those people that are good. So I guess it takes an element of humility. And self-awareness, like knowing that I'm not good at details or at organization, I can, I find partners in my businesses who are like my current business partner is, you know, an incredible detail oriented COO type. So, and I think the other thing is really looking at, so I love data and I like to look at, it's sort of intuitive. You can meditate and look at society on a broad scale and see what, the problems are. So you can see that people 15 years ago where there's a lot of smokers, people can't stop and there's been no solution. Or, you know, today's business that I have is all around empowering healers and wellness providers so that they can turn around and empower the planet. But studying the market there. So I would suggest people find what they love and what they're interested in. So for me in this case it was it was healing and making it more accessible to to the planet and to others that can't afford it. And so I would study that problem. And what I discovered was, hey, these people don't, I would have interviews, you know, multiple informal interviews. It doesn't have to be like a McKinsey nerd thing with a computer. You can just have interviews and with random people or when you meet people, hey, what are your biggest pain points? Are you not great at, uh, you're not great at marketing. You're not great at building websites. You know, they're not, they need help with payment processing. They need help with SEO. 
and you just discover like this is a problem. This is, there needs to be a solution. If there was the solution, there would be a deeper connection and a deeper healing for the planet with these with these various with with millions of healers essentially who are stuck at home and, and don't have the internet skills to connect with p- other people on the other side who need the healing but can't find the healers. So. I don't know if that answers your question. Totally. And I'm so with you. You know, I was just actually thinking about this the other day, how the reason why I do what I do is because I started this Instagram account that grew really quickly, opened up a lot of doors for me, created a business for me and a lot of healers in my community, because that's always been something I'm interested in and surround myself with would ask me, you know, how did you build your Instagram account? How did you build the followers? How do you start working with brands? And for me, it's so intuitive. I don't think about it. It's like I have a chip in my brain that just does it. So since then, I've been just more mindful with identifying the method that I use and understanding that, yes, there is a methodology. Now, what my programs do is help people who are healers and conscious entrepreneurs to understand that it's not rocket science to share your message and that it can be aligned with who you are as a human, with what you're committed to in the world. So I just so love that you're doing it on a big scale. Huh. Well, thank you. Do you believe that, you can, that, that so people can train themselves to be more curious and want to find answers? Or do you believe it's a chip? Or do you believe both? What I've seen in my work is that the most important step that's missing for a lot of people and keeping them away from even trying, putting themselves out there and using social media and marketing to create a bigger impact is that they don't think that it's possible to do it in a way that aligns with their values. So they see things in their home feed. They see how maybe other healers that they don't resonate with have done things to grow. And they create the story that I'm never going to do that. You know, this feels like a sellout. I'm never going to do it this way. Or I don't know how to take beautiful photos. Or I don't even know where to begin. Or this is not my thing. Or funnels are not as important as my intuition. This was my story for a long time. You know, but what I'm finding through over 100 interviews I've done and through all the work I've been doing with teaching others, what I do is there can be an intersection between intuition and very smart marketing strategy as long as we allow ourselves to see it through a new lens. So the first and foundational step that I'm seeing is just transforming our consciousness and understanding and seeing social media as a way to transmute consciousness and not this icky marketing salesy thing that we have to do. Seeing it as a tool for making bigger impact and actually connecting with people and trusting that whoever's meant to see it will see it and whoever's meant to be moved by it will be moved by it. That is the most important foundational tool. And then around that, we build on more practical things. Amen. Yes, it's a shift in the way we see these marketing tools. Exactly. So back to your story, I want to you know, go back to that night where you had your first awakening with Ibogaine. And then if we take that point in time and we draw two lines, one is how your spiritual journey continued and other you know, plant medicines and whatever you found along the way. And then the other line is your business journey and all the businesses you've been part of and started. What has that been like and how have you seen them work together? Sure. Well, I think what you said just a few minutes ago is very powerful because before this I began experience, I always believed I wasn't good enough. And that was the core 
message I was operating from. You know, I would start books and not finish them. I would start, I started college. I dropped out of college. I I just never really applied myself because I didn't think I was worthy, right? And so in a single night, I saw that we're that I'm worthy, that we're all worthy, that we have this strand in, internally that connects us all. And, and that's really why we're here. And we're here to create good work and and you know, we're in the, I saw that we're in these bodies because, you know, there's many other realms and I saw that, but that we incarnate into these bodies so that we can actually manifest. You can't manifest in other realms. You need to be in a dense human form to be able to create. And we're here to innovate and create incredible tools to help ourselves and the planet evolve. And that's the whole, it's sort of a game. Life is a game that way. And you can either choose to engage or you can choose to sit back and do nothing and, you know, practice false belief systems, which is what I had running like a computer program for a long time. The belief system of unworthiness, the belief system that I can't, you know, these things that I picked up in childhood or other in other ways and internalized. So that's a major way in which it that ripple effect from that single night really changed changed me. And from there, it's not like suddenly I thought I could do everything. I had to focus on this and work with great therapists and healers. And, you know, I ended up studying with some Shipibo people in the Amazon and learning how to work with different plants and and, you know, ayahuasca and, and seeing how to move energy. And then, you know, eventually I didn't need ayahuasca or any of these things. I just started working with energy and went and got my master's in energy medicine. And along the way, there were parts of me that still believed I couldn't do it, but I would constantly talk to my inner child and say, you can do it. Or, you know, some days I let myself feel like I couldn't do it. And I'd lay in bed and in the Lower East Side in my apart little studio and believe that I couldn't do it, you know, and then something would happen where I would you know, walk down the street and I would run into somebody and they would remind me, no, you can do it. And so that's the power of connection. So, you know, the inverse of connection is isolation. And that's how I lived for a long while. I just became a little bit more open after I began. The door was more open to receiving something I couldn't do before was I was unable to receive, right? And so more and more and more, this door opened and I transformed over time at a much greater level. And I was able to bring some of this magic into these businesses and into, you know, I met the love of my life six years ago and it was totally unexpected. You can't plan these things, I believe. How did you meet? We met because I had, we shared a common investor. He worked for a parent company of ours, not the same company, but a different company in the same space. And the investor was a shared investor and we met And it was just like, oh, wow, I've known you for thousands of years in a moment. And that was it. I looked at him and I was like, you're my brother. You're my, you're my son. You're my father. You're everything. I've I've known you and you're my lover. And so, I mean, not in a sick, twisted way, but that was that. And, And, you know, we've been together since that day and it hasn't been all roses, of course. You know, we, I believe we're in relationship with another just to, so we can help one another heal our wounds. I think it's one of the best ways to do so. If you both have an agreement that you are going to love each other, even through the hard times and show one another where your wounds are, because a lot of times we get distorted and we think we're right and maybe we're not right. Maybe we are right. Who cares? 
but you know, we project things onto one another. So it's really about hanging in there and learning to be kind to ourselves and to the other, compassionate, you know, persevering no matter what. It's easy to divorce nowadays, right? That's the easy way out. So we both got tattoos on our wrists that say no exits. <laughs> to remind us when times are tough, you know? So I, so he came with three boys, three amazing boys, but still, you know, I'm an extremist. So I saw that as a fun challenge (laughs) Before I knew it. I had moved from New York city and we're living in Mill Valley, about 10 miles North of San Francisco on the water, water in the redwoods on a mountain. It's pretty epic, but you know, it's very slow compared to New York. It's very white here. It lacks some funk that I miss. And it was very challenging, to be honest, to move here. And it's not an easy love, that's for sure. And to learn how to be around children again after I had such childhood, had some deep traumas that it reminded me of. So, you know, I always tell people, get get all the help you can get. If you can afford a great therapist, do it. I had two at one point. If you can't afford great therapists, okay, we can help you. And there's, there's accessible ways to get what you need now online with certain tools. But that's another reason I'm so passionate about making these healing arts more accessible because all, all demographics and backgrounds and socioeconomic statuses have a fundamental right to, to healing, you know? Because we are all the walking wounded. We all carry so much baggage now. So, so that's been my journey with that. And just most recently, I also launched a nonprofit called Ibogaine Research Institute because separately, I mean, it's a lot. I'm pretty busy and my husband doesn't always love it. But because now we have another child, we have four boys now. Wow. And I have a toddler. Yeah, he's two. We had together. But I've always believed that I would come back to Ibogaine. So 10 years ago, I didn't have a college degree, right? I had dropped out of school. You know, I was a recovering, recovering former addict, right? And I always thought that I would, use, you know, I wanted the world to hear about this medicine that's been made illegal in the US, wrongfully so, that, you know, there's such systemic issues here with pharmaceutical companies and these things that you take every day that keep people hooked and sort of in a, in a state between worlds, you're not, you're not clear exactly, but you're not on, you know, addicted to the former drug, but you're dependent and sort of a cog in the system and unhappy. And so I always wanted to create a nonprofit that raises awareness around that plant, Ibogaine, and helps to legalize it, um, you know, works on solutions to making it more accessible and inexpensive to more people. And most importantly, making it safe because I didn't have a good experience. And I know when things are done with proper protocol and, and great medical care assistance, you know, the, the, the average treatment is going to be a better experience. People are going to stay conscious longer and then do the work that they're really meant to be doing in this world. Because each of us has, has so many gifts, you know, and, and so many people aren't tapped in. And to me, that's the biggest tragedy of all. They're not living their joy. They're not living their passion. Like, it's so sad. You're here on this planet for such a short time. Let's let's find each person's joy and, and what they love doing or just being and help them get there. So yes, with Healer Collective, what you're doing by empowering people and giving them access to those business tools, you know, helping healers focus on what they do best instead of having to learn all these business tools you're helping more people get that healing, but you're also empowering the healers to focus on what they do best. So 
trying to find the right words for it. I find that in my experience, you know, from working with a lot of healers, there's this experience of do I spend more time learning my art and offering it to people or do I invest into learning marketing and business? And I think that there's no blueprint and there's a different combination of this for each individual person. But I'm curious with your work with the Healer Collective, what are you seeing? Because, you know, there is this stigma of starving artists or starving healer um, that I'm seeing to start shift. I'm curious how you've seen that evolve with your work with Healer Collective. Yeah. So I think that healers, well, many, it depends on the person, of course, some are having trouble receiving money or want, I, I think more and more though, people are healers and consciousness leaders are beginning to understand that they need their time is precious, right? It's limited and that they deserve to receive proper exchange for that time. They're feeling more value more valued in society because like we're looking at the graphs and we see that depression and anxiety and addiction are skyrocketing. People are turning to alternative medicine more and more, right? Or these different forms of healing and there's a greater demand and there, and a lot of, many of these healers are tired and realizing that they need to apply what they, what they share, what they teach to others, to themselves. And value their time. And if that means charging more money so that they can afford a great marketing team or a great, you know, a great team who can help them build their website and help them get out there more in the world, it's really a, a sustainable, regenerative thing. So I, so I went back to school. I finished college, I don't know, six years ago. And then I went right after and got an MBA, went to business school and got an MBA in sustainability and it really taught me the importance of regenerative businesses and how, and, and not to feel, sh you know, my whole life I felt shame around money. Because to be honest, I was born into, you know, a wealthy family and I had all this guilt. Like, why me? Why should I get more advantages than others? You know, then I realized that, in, you know, over time I've worked at that. And that just means that I, I have more of a responsibility to to help others. And it doesn't mean that I, I, you know, I have other issues. I had addiction issues. I have other issues that other people don't have. But what I learned is in business school, studying sustainability and regenerative businesses, we really need revenue. We need cash, right? To live. Cause that's how this system works here on earth. It's a, it's a capitalist system. There's a limited amount of resources. I mean, that's why the planet's not in good a uh, good place because we've overconsumed, overproduced. But healers, especially who are doing regenerative work and are helping so many others, deserve to receive money so that they can sustain themselves and then build. Whether they learn to do it themselves or they pay other people, build a business and build a good team behind them so that they're supported. So I've sort of neutralized a lot of what you know money used to mean to me. I, by the way, I worked with a really great financial coach who, you know, is like a money shaman, I would say, who helped me not feel bad asking, you know, what, what I'm worth, asking for what I'm worth. So yeah, I, I, I think that that's shifting. I agree with what you said. And I think, I think it's the only way to be sustainable is to, to learn how to receive and, and learn to ask for what you believe you're worth. If you're providing X amount of value to other people and they're taking that forward and changing their lives, 
what is that worth? You know, it's probably, you can't put a number on it, but then it should be a fair exchange. You know, what, what is the healer or the conscious leader receiving in return? So what was the biggest shift for you in allowing yourself to receive and feel good about monetary exchange? The biggest shift for me, well, I'm still sort of working on it. I would say I'm better than ever in this region, but the biggest shift for me was, you know, I, I, uh, I started consulting for, we work with a lot of conscious brands now as well. So we match conscious brands with healers, both inside the company. So like corporate wellness as well, like we customize corporate wellness programs virtually now for teams but we also do a lot of social media, you know, programming with various healers, whether, you know, conscious company wants to have Reiki on their IG, you know, IGTV, or they want, I don't know, feng, a Feng Shui lesson or something like that. I think for me, it's been asking those companies for what I believe we are worth with the time we're going to put in and the, you know, we're all bringing our unique knowledge to every situation that we in business. Right. And we're so asking for what I'm worth and then them saying yes. So there's a moment for me where I have a lot of panic between when I send the proposal over (laughs) to these larger corporations and when they say yes, you know, I think, oh God, the, the unworthiness thoughts come back. Oh God, I, I, and it's and it's usually probably less money than I than I than I should be asking for, by the way, which is something I'm working on. But um, yeah, it's that it's sort of jumping off a diving board and trusting that you'll not land on rocks, but land in water and be okay. It's that moment. I think in Buddhism, it's called rasa that moment of free fall where you don't know what's going to happen. And so, you know, we get better at what we practice. So if I continue to take risks and practice in ways where I'm afraid, we literally, that neurological piece of us actually uh, improves. It gets easier and easier and easier over time. And that's sort of how I've how I think I've reprogrammed myself because literally after Ibogaine, I was like my brain was wiped clean. I had to relearn everything. And so I've slowly learned how to, I always say we're like bootstrappers. We're all entrepreneurs. We start from the basics and we we're shifting what we believe in and we're reprogramming our thoughts to believe different things. And it's very entrepreneurial. And so literally I've recreated my thinking and my you know, brain and the neurotransmitters and all of this. So I think we can all be like, we're all like startups essentially. And then maybe we get more wind and, and we become like next level. We, we become bigger than a startup or I don't know. But yeah, there's, there's definitely <laughs> some sort of theory there. Maybe there's a book. That's such an interesting way to think about it. And you're right, you know, with this shift of so many people becoming entrepreneurs and leaving the corporate world, learning how to be a solopreneur, learning how to run a small startup, building a brand around your offerings. It's true. Each one of us is a startup and there's so much potential for fun game and fun play and constant recreation and expansion. And as long as we think about it, there's always more to learn and explore. And um, I guess it's just uh, requires constant dedication to it. It's like, you know, tattooing on your wrist that there's no exit. Like you're stuck with this one body with this one expression of yourself for the rest of your life, but there's so much 
of the software that can be changed out if something's not working. Yes, there's no mistakes. It's so inspiring. We can persevere, but it can also be fun because if we screw up, we can just change it, you know? We can shift it and we can, you know, make amends and apologize to people we've harmed. That's an important spiritual principle, I believe, but it should be fun and it should be, you know, I like to be I like to be proven wrong and I like to see where I made an error. It's sort of this aha for me. And so it's like, you know, going back and seeing where I was wrong and then reprogramming that piece in me that thought that was the right way to do it. But it turns out it was actually harmful or, you know, not wrong, but incorrect or not helpful. So yeah, like bring it on. I'm, I'm really excited about life and feeling more grounded than ever, even within this chaos. And I think the answer really is, you know, daily reflection and knowing inside we have these force fields, all of us that are much bigger than the chaos and the uncertainty outside of us. See, that's where society's made a mistake in in programming society really to believe that everything is external and that we need to reach outside ourselves when really it's from the inside out, not the outside in. And so who knows, like I'm very excited by everything happening in the world. And I'm very, I don't like saying that to a lot of people because it sounds like I'm sick or something. Of course, I don't like the suffering and it's sad and people are dying and it's terrible. And there's a lot of fear. But through it all, we see an awakening that's occurring where people are coming together. They're becoming aware of their handicaps. With Trump in office, we're certainly seeing where the systemic problems are so that we can eventually build a better system that's more based on human connection, sharing, less isolation, less competition, but more, you know, on innovation and truly changing and shifting things, not not doing things like we used to, which has been very harmful to to a lot of people. So it's an exciting time to be on the planet, to have chosen to be here. And uh, it really is about what we choose to focus on. And the more conscious we become, the more we can see clearly in the present without derailing ourselves and focusing on fear, fear of the future, fear of the past, and just knowing that it's all going to be okay. Really, that's the truth. I'm so with you on that. Yeah. So what are some practices or tools or maybe books that you find, Talia, help you stay connected to this kind of thinking? You know, sometimes I wake up and I'm feeling completely off and I forget all these things. And sometimes I wake up and I'm just full of ideas and creative flow and this internal engine is just revved up. And, you know, I have my own practices I go to that I sometimes remember and sometimes forget about. Like this morning, I did a cacao and yoga, and it just reminded me everything. I'm curious, what are some of the things that you turn to as someone who's not only an entrepreneur, but also a mother and a wife? Yes, great question. And I like how you're honest about some days you wake up just not feeling great, and other days you feel great, and we don't understand why. Um, Maybe it's karmic, I don't know. Uh, But anyways... So lately I've been overworking, you know, way too much. And I noticed that and I noticed it's making a lot of people unhappy around me. My time is imbalanced. It might be 
a bit obsessive or I don't know, there's just a lot of opportunities coming, but whatever. I noticed that what helps me now is I don't look at my phone for two hours when I wake up and don't check any emails, which for me was, of course, the first thing I was doing. You know, there's a child, there's children running around. My husband is, it wasn't kind and compassionate and not very mindful of me. So that's shifted a lot. We live in the Redwoods too. So I go for a lot of runs. I do a lot of running meditations, which has been incredible. I do breath work with a practitioner at least once a week, a friend of mine in Costa Rica, but there's also a lot of free online classes, free, you know, YouTubes. There's no reason why anyone, the breath is, you know, the first thing we learned when we entered the when we left the womb, you know, so really reconnecting with the breath, doing deep breath work for an hour, if you can, or even 20 minutes is very transformative. You can actively work on use, using your mind as a tool to clear while you're doing the breath work. You notice maybe negative thoughts or belief systems coming up. You can, you can clear those with the breath work because you're more in an altered state and you can feel, you can actually ask your body to release the old program. So that's, that's very powerful. You know, I like to listen to inspirational leaders like Byron Katie is incredible, Michael Beckwith. But I think most of all, more than ever, I like to just go inside and listen to my higher self and look at what is true and what is false. And there's a different brand of energy behind true versus false. So you can pretty, you can tell after a while, after you train in this, you know, what is false and what is true. And you follow the true thoughts. You follow the true thoughts while staying somewhat aware. I I don't mean like use it as a spiritual bypass, obviously. It's important to focus. Sometimes things aren't just going well and it's important to focus on that, not ignore it. And, you know, try and clean that up or ask yourself, what is there to learn here? But you can actively choose to which thoughts to follow that are true. I think that's a very powerful practice that's accessible to all. And then last but not least, you know, if you can be around children, whether you have your own or you have, you know, nephews or nieces or friends that have kids, they're incredible. It's what CEOs pay thousands of dollars for, like to play you know, to be in a childlike state again, a creative space where you're only in the present. And I just study my son and watch him play and and play with toys and and make little stories. And and for me, that's very freeing and a great reminder, you know, because he's my teacher. He's my teacher. And they oftentimes, they're not programmed yet, although they aren't the first couple of years. And so you can learn a lot from that. And I just sort of get into his mind state with him and play on the floor. And I think that's really powerful too. So that's what I, what, that's what I do. I have a big question that I wasn't sure if I want to bring into the space, but it keeps popping up. So I guess we'll be wrapping up with a massive question. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Good, you know, I'm ready. <laughs> when you speak about opioids, you know, it's a known fact that it's a huge problem in this country, how many young people especially are addicted to opioids. And I began being this alternative illegal so far solution. Maybe by the time this podcast comes out, something will change because I believe in miracles. But when I think about this, you know, if I'm honest with you, I kind of get bogged down by the fact that there's almost this need to go against an enormous system like the big pharma. And in my mind, I'm like, from a mental perspective, I don't even know if that's possible. But 
it requires a bigger thinking and a bigger trust into bigger energy systems than what we know of to pursue something as big as you're pursuing. So what is your thinking around that and how do you stay optimistic? Mm, That's a great question. So right now I'm working with people who are from big pharma and who are, I mean, they're not in it now, but who are policymakers and are well-known researchers who see the system problems and want to change things. So I guess that's the first piece is I know I can't do it alone. And I rely on people and use my intuition when I'm speaking to them and also my intellect to see that their heart's in the right place and they actually want change. They're not pretending. So I, I build alliances in that way. And then, you know, on other days, I believe it's not possible. And I let myself believe that in those moments. And I, it's sort of the entrepreneurial way to have these highs and lows, highs and lows. And then other days, incredible things will happen where I'll talk to a very well-known research team and they'll have, they'll have a solution and it looks like there's the funding behind it and it looks like there's, I follow that trail. It looks like there's a possibility to get it legalized in other countries, you know, and then bring it to America. And so I remain open, trust, I trust. I know ultimately that this is very effective when used properly and can help millions of people. And I keep going back to that piece. So I empathize and I trust, and I know that there's something greater that wants, you know, this was put on the planet at this unique time, you know, it's from an indigenous tribe in Gabon, right? Who's been using it for ritual for thousands of years. And it was placed on this, all, all plants are placed on this earth, I believe for a reason as antidotes to problems, right? That's what pharmaceutical companies have done. They've taken these plants and turned them into to drugs, right? And so I, I just go back to believing that and also knowing like maybe it won't work and that's okay too, but I'm going to try because it's something I care about and you know, it might not work, but it's worth for me, it's worth putting my time and energy in no matter what, because I try not to focus on knowing how it should go or knowing what the end result will be. It's more about, I know this might be cliche, but it's more about the journey. Like, okay, at least I'm trying. I'm learning along the way. I'm learning to use my intuition better. I'm learning to trust my instincts. I'm learning how to talk about science with world-class researchers. Like most of this stuff, I don't understand how this works in the blood-brain barrier. And they're telling me things I don't really understand, but I'm learning, right? And so, and I have fear because it's intense, but I'm, I'm going no matter what. So it's more about the lessons I think that I'm getting out of it and the wisdom that's coming than the actual outcome, no matter what. So I would just tell people to enjoy it, enjoy the process, you know, try and be consciously aware of what you're learning, where you don't know things, own it, and just be real about the mission, the mission and why you're doing it. Go back to the people that you're helping, really. And if you truly believe you're helping a lot of people, that gives you the ammo to keep persevering. So I'm writing it all down. I had goosebumps most of the time that you were speaking, ever since you started with the Auschwitz story because I'm also Jewish and a lot of the that history in my family line has been erased but it's still very much alive in my DNA and I feel it anytime I hear those kind of stories and this just has been so powerful and I'm so grateful for what you're doing Talia and for being able to connect with you deeper in this way and before we wrap up 
Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you feel called to share? Not really. I'm just very grateful to be on and to say whatever's coming out of my mouth is, is probably aligned with what your audience may need to hear. I don't even know what I'm saying most of the time. It's just <laughs> truth from the inside. And, you know, I also appreciate you so much and your journey and, you know, your family, what you've probably had to transcend and, and alchemize. And the work you're doing is very powerful as well. So it's just good. It's good to be in alliance. And I'm grateful for this time together. So thank you. Thank you, Talia. What's the best way for people to connect with you and with the Healer Collective? Great question. So www.healercollective.com. And there's a bunch of forms on that website that we get respond to. You can also look at our Instagram at Healer Collective. And then I began research institute is irinstitute.org. Um, there's a lot of stories on there and ways of connecting to us. If you're looking for help, we're happy to be of service there. We're very connected to safe treatment centers and aftercare providers who we recommend. So Awesome. I'm going to put everything in the show notes. So for anyone looking for that, WokenWire.com. It will all be down there. Talia, thank you again. So much gratitude and so much love. So much gratitude. I'm going for a run after this through the, the redwoods to ground. Amazing. Enjoy. <laughs>If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes and share it with a friend who you think could benefit from the message. Find all the show notes and all the resources on WokeAndWired.com and say hello on Instagram. Find me at Woke and Wired. Stay woke, stay wired, and take three deep breaths right now.